This is Franz with the Travel Trade Exchange Podcast. But I've got another website as well, and that is called www.medsailor.com. And I'm going to post this podcast in both locations. And if you have a chance, uh, go over to uh, that website, www.medsailor.com. I've got some videos posted there as well. This is a quick podcast to talk about what I've been doing the last few months. Uh, just a couple notes. Upcoming, I expect to have an interview with Spike Hampson. Spike has had a very interesting and an adventurous life. He took a foldable bike and rode all through the Caucasus and wrote a book about it. He used what was called a Bike Friday as his bicycle. It was a uh, it was a good book, entertaining book. Uh, you can go to his website www.spikehampson.com and get that book. Also, he's writing a book on a trip he is still in the process of undertaking. He is uh, from a plan. And this plan was put out by Glenn L. Marine. It's an eight, no, excuse me, a 19-foot runabout. And it's designed to be used on rivers and in shallow waters. Well, anyway, he built this boat. I don't know how many years it took him to build this boat. And then he launched it. But his ultimate plan was to sail, I shouldn't say sail, but motor the, uh, the inland waterways of America and then get cross over into South America in one form or another and then through the inland waterways of of South America go up the Orinoco River and there's a connection between the Orinoco and the Amazon and then other rivers in South America and eventually arrive in Buenos Aires. The last I heard he had gotten as far as the Turks and Caicos and I'm interested to hear where he's gone since then. He launched his boat in Riverton, Wyoming, on the Wind River. And he took that down to where it joined the Yellowstone River, then the Missouri River, then the Missouri River to the Mississippi River, to the Wisconsin River. And then he went through the Great Lakes, went out the St. Lawrence Seaway, and then came down the Intercoastal Waterway. Uh, eventually down to Miami, and I think from Miami he hopped over to the Bahamas and worked his way south through the Bahamas, and he stands, or he, I think he right now is uh, is in the Turks and Caicos. But his ultimate goal is to get it down to South America. And so that'll be an interesting, an interesting interview when I'm able to finally schedule it with him. I started working on this interview uh, before I left for my summer sail back in uh, May, uh, 2012, and I got so busy planning my trip and doing the last-minute things that were required that we never had a chance to put that interview together. So, uh, on to what I've done this summer. This summer, I uh, I went over to uh, launch my boat uh, in Croatia. It was in Dubrovnik, Croatia. A friend of mine arrived about a week ahead of time, so he had already started cleaning up the boat he took the uh, cover off, he took the sails out, he inflated the dinghy, did a lot of odds and ends before I even arrived at the boat. So that helped a lot. had uh, my two f- initial crew members uh, were Kevin and, uh, and Bob. And both these guys are pretty uh, 
hardcore uh, athletes. Bob runs uh, Ironman competitions quite often, and and Kevin is a ski instructor in the winter. So uh, it was a good crew. We we spent about five days. I shouldn't say five days. I think we spent about three days uh, doing some maintenance on the boat. And this year the maintenance was primarily sanding down uh, my three wooden hatches down to bare wood, restaining them, and then putting a few coats of of varnish on them. The boat's over 20 years old, and anything that's covered with varnish eventually starts to deteriorate to the point where you can't keep it up anymore. So it was time to strip it down and uh, bring it back to where it looked good again. So we spent some time doing that. We launched the boat. We uh, cleared out of Croatia. And I'm not a fan of Croatia. I really am not. I know a lot of people rave about the Dalmatian coast and how wonderful it is. And I grant that is true. The coast is gorgeous. But when I travel, it's the people that make the trip and make the memory. And I've never found the Croatian people to be particularly friendly. And I, I saw this example. We spent one night in uh, in Croatia before we left and went to Montenegro. And we, we left Dubrovnik and motored down to Sovtot, anchored in an area of Sovtot that I've never had a problem anchoring before. Well, we arrive down there. A man shows up in a skiff and says, I have to pay $30 for him to haul my garbage to shore. I said, I don't have any garbage. I don't need you to haul my garbage. And he kept arguing with me and arguing with me, and uh, and I wouldn't pay it. He said I'd have to when I cleared out. Well, I went back the next day to clear out, and I didn't have to. But he went around to every other boat that was anchored in the bay and demanded that they pay him to take their garbage away. And this is not unusual in Croatia. This is very common. Uh, A lot of places, they require you to pay to anchor. Now, I've sailed all over the world, and nowhere have I been expected to pay to drop my own anchor, except in Croatia. Uh, And then there's another story I'll talk about a little later on that sort of reinforces my cynical attitude after getting the boat ready and launching it, we motored down to Sovtot, spent one night in Sovtot, and then left Sovtot to go visit Montenegro. It cost $200 just to get a cruising permit for one day. Admittedly, the cruising permit is good for a year, but because we were only in Croatia one day, we still had to pay the $200 for a cruising permit. So it was a expensive proposition just to get out of Croatia. Well, we entered Montenegro and the cruising permit for about a seven-day cruising permit was $50. It was a pretty straightforward process to get this permit and the people were pleasant and that was that. We went into the inland fjords and the first town we visited was a town called Reason, R-I-S-E-N. We tied up to the town Quay. It didn't cost anything It was a delightful little town. They had a farmer's market there the next day, and we visited that, picked up some supplies, and then spent the rest of the day just motoring through the various fjords. We stopped at a church on the rocks, took some pictures there, and we were able to raft next to another boat. There was only 
a spot for one boat at a time at this little island that has a church on it. And there's a long story behind it, and I'm not going to tell it because I wouldn't be wouldn't be doing this story justice. But anyway, we rafted next to another Montenegrin sailor, and he he allowed us to do this and cross his boat to get on shore. When we left, he threw our lines back to our boat, and he accidentally threw one of his lines. So we had to chase him down and give him back his line. Uh, he appreciated that. Mooring lines are very important to a sailor. Then we worked our way around to the town of Kotor, K-O-T-O-R. And as I was backing into the laid mooring, which was uh, put out by the town, by the municipality, I heard a nasty screeching sound from my engine. And just as I threw the lines off to the man to grab on the dock and hand back to me, I turned off the engine, went down below, and found that I had burned out my fresh water pump. Now, I've got a Yanmar diesel engine. It's been a great motor over the years, and it is a 30-horsepower diesel. It's got two pumps on it. One's a saltwater pump, which pumps salt water through the heat exchanger and then out through the exhaust. Then the other one is the pump uh, that pumps the uh, fresh coolant or the coolant through the engine to cool down the engine. The year before, I had replaced the saltwater pump, but I didn't replace the uh, freshwater pump. And over the winter, I had actually planned on taking uh, spares out with me, but things got in the way, and I just never bothered giving the lady uh, in California that worked for the company, the Yanmar dealer in California I deal with, uh, my credit card, and I never did take it. I had a load already to take over to the boat, so I thought... I'm not going to take those spare parts. I didn't think I would really need to to replace it. But lo and behold, I needed that fresh water pump. Now, the engine's over 20 years old, and so this is the first time the fresh water pump has gone out. Well, I thought it would be a relatively easy fix. This happens on engines all the time. So I found an Internet cafe and uh, did a web search and found the Yanmar dealer in Montenegro was just over the hill. So... The next day, we rented a car and drove over there, and he didn't have it. And the best he could tell me was they would order it from somewhere in Europe, and it might get to me in about eight days, and it might cost who knows how much. They couldn't even give me a quote on how much it would cost. So I thought, there's got to be a better solution to this. So while we were putting the boat in the water in Dubrovnik, we uh, befriended the manager of the Sunsail Yacht Charter Company, and I thought, if anybody knows where to find Yanmar parts, he would. Most of the Sunsail boats use Yanmar engines. So we called him, and we asked him what he could uh, do for us, or we asked him his suggestion on how to solve this problem. And he said, I've got a mechanic here in the marina that would be able to rebuild that pump. And I gave him all the details, and I made sure he understood it was a freshwater pump. And then we called him back a half hour later, and he said, uh, bring the pump up tomorrow, and he'll rebuild it for you. Well, we got in the car and drove up there, and we handed the pump to this uh, this mechanic in the marina. And he said, oh, I, I told him I could rebuild a freshwater pump. And I said, no, we said it was a salt water. We said it was, excuse me. He said, 
I can't rebuild this pump. I can only rebuild a saltwater pump. And I said, well, I was very specific in letting you know that it was a freshwater pump. He said, well, there's nothing I can do for you. You'll have to come back tomorrow. Uh, we had rented a car, and it took us about three hours to drive from Montenegro, cross the border, and get there. So we sort of wasted that day. So we came back. Uh, the next day, we went back up and talked to him. He said, it's going to be three days before I can do anything for you. And I'll have to get a rebuild pump, and it's going to cost you 500 kuna. And that's about $400, and it's a rebuild. In America, I can buy the same pump for $140. Uh, he had me over a barrel. I didn't have much choice. Uh, my my crew had to get off in Corfu, Corfu uh, in about a week, so we had to, to make some time and get going so we agreed to his price uh, and we did we, we made the best of a bad situation we went and took the rental car and drove throughout the interior of Montenegro which is a delightful country uh, whatever bad I say about Croatia think the opposite in Montenegro your money goes very far in Montenegro they're friendly they are happy they smile they laugh the opposite of Croatia. So anyway, and then one day we drove up through Dubrovnik and then entered Bosnia-Herzegovina and drove through Bosnia-Herzegovina, eventually coming back out at the border of Montenegro. And that was interesting. It was like taking a step back a hundred years. Well, finally we get the, the pump fixed and we put it back on the boat. Replacing it on the boat is was easy. It was basically taking the belt off and putting two bolts, uh, taking two bolts off for the old one and putting two bolts off to, to replace it. It was a very easy fix. So we think, okay, finally everything's, everything's okay. And we continue on south. We stop in a town called Budva, spend a night there, and then we head on down to Bar. Uh, and we plan on clearing out in Bar. So we pull into Bar and I uh, just go to the marina. We, we spend a little time wandering through the town and visiting the old section of bar. And as I'm, and I, then I go to the customs and do, go through the whole process of clearing out of Montenegro because our next stop is going to be Albania. Well, just as we get out of the breakwater, and fortunately it's a calm day uh, and we're motoring, there's, there's no wind, uh, I hear a screeching sound, nasty, loud screeching sound from down below. And this time it was the the uh, saltwater pump that went out. Now, I had replaced the saltwater pump last year, and I had done a lousy job of, uh, of lining up the belt with the pulley. It was dark when I was doing it. I was just getting ready to put the boat up for the winter, and I was in a hurry, and I did not align the pulley on the pump with the uh, with the pulley on the motor and I had basically worn out the shaft of the saltwater pump. Fortunately for me I had the old saltwater pump still on the boat and I'm thinking well now we're even farther from Croatia uh, our nearest chance to get this repaired, refixed so I start wandering around the marina knocking on boats and 
seen if anybody has a spare saltwater pump. I carry a salt wa- a spare, and I would think any other sailor that's a cruising sailor would as well. The marina manager saw me doing this and stopped me, and he said, what are you doing? And I told him what I was doing. He said, no, nobody here, nobody's here, nobody has a spare part, so don't waste your time. Well, I wasn't going to not do it, so I kept doing it. And he eventually stopped me again. He, he said, don't do this. Uh, nobody can help you. And so at this point in time, my crew and I go get a a beer, and so we sit down, and we're starting to talk, and there's a little cafe that's next to the marina. And the marina manager and a couple of his workers come and sit next to us, and they see that I've got this bag of parts, and he looks over at me and says, what do you have there? And I, I showed him my two worn-out water pumps, and he said, you know, there might be a guy here uh, he's a mechanic or machinist that can fix that for you. Uh, let's go over and see about it. So he loaded me up uh, in a car, and we drove over to this machinist shop, and it was his house, and he had a big lathe in front of his house and a bunch of spare parts, and this man looked like a mad scientist. He had white hair down to his shoulders, and he was probably in his mid-60s, and he had, you know, a worker's hands and and he didn't speak any English, and so they communicated with him on what I needed to do, and he sort of nodded his head and walked away with all my parts, and and uh, I was told that he said he'd probably work on it. Didn't say would, but they said he probably would. So I'm sitting here wondering what to do. I'm feeling lost. There's not much I can do. I'm sort of at the mercy of this this man, this machinist. And so the next day I sort of sit on pins and needles hoping I'll hear from him hoping I'll hear from him I don't hear from him I talked to the marina manager and I said uh, any word and he said uh, he's still working on it he said maybe tomorrow maybe tomorrow and so the next day goes by and and I don't hear from him and I go to the marina manager says no I haven't heard from him uh, maybe tomorrow and the following day it was Sunday and I said uh, um, you know any chance today and he said uh well, let's let's go see. Oh, actually, he didn't say that. He, I just took a cab up there, and uh, he had it had it fixed. He did have it fixed. He charged me twenty euros. I gave him thirty, and I appreciated it. And it's it worked all summer long, and it's still on the boat right now. Uh, we, we we these sort of unanticipated problems uh, create opportunity. There was a, na- a worldwide judo contest going on in bar at that time and we spent some time watching that and we wandered around bar and got to know it fairly well not a town I'd really make an effort to visit uh, again uh, but that we didn't have much choice we were stuck there fortunately for me when I when I'd cleared out of customs I went back to the customs office and I said listen we just got out of the marina we had mechanical problems we had to come back what do I do and I didn't want to go through the whole checking in process uh, and checking out process again. And they really didn't want to have to make me do that either. So they said, well, just let us know when you, uh, when you leave. And they'd stamp my, stamp my documents back into the country. And when I left, they stamped me finally out without having to jump through all the hoops. Because it usually entails visiting to about, about three different offices to clear in and out of these countries. 
So we leave, uh, we sail on down to uh, a town on the very southern part of Montenegro and just anchor there for the night. We don't, we don't uh, tie up at a marina. And the next day we get up early and motor down to uh, Albania. And we clear in in Albania in the town of Duress. Now Duress is a big commercial port. And I was confused on where to go. So I got on the VHF and called the harbor master. And he told me just to come in, tie up to the quay, and a, uh, an agent would uh, meet me there. Uh, and I say, which quay, which quay? And he directs me to the part of the big commercial uh, harbor to go to. We tie up, and it's about an eight-foot climb along the wall just to get to uh, the shore. Straight up, fortunately, there's some big tires there you could sort of climb up on. But imagine scaling an eight-foot wall to get in in and out of your house all the time. That's what it was like getting in and out of this, in and out of my boat uh, in this commercial harbor. A lot of big ships in there loading and unloading, a lot of noise, a lot of dirt. Uh, But, you know, this is an adventure, so... We tie up there. We uh, we clear customs. We have to pay a shipping agent uh, about 80 euros just to clear in. We can't do this ourselves. We're required to use a shipping agent every town that we stop at in Albania. This turned out to make uh, make it just not worthwhile to visit Albania. It, it really turned out to be a headache. Uh, the town of Duress looked like uh, they had had a real estate boom that had stopped a lot of buildings that were partially built and boarded up a big uh, development right along the waterfront that was uh, about half built and then looked like it had been shut down for the duration albania is a country that wants to encourage tourism but it's a police state. It still acts like a police state. It doesn't want to provide the freedom that tourists expect, at least sailing tourists expect. So we were there one night. Uh, we cleared out the next day and uh, motored down to uh, to Vlore, V-L-O-R-E, which is about in the middle of Albania. We got there late at night. Uh, there was one marina, and a true marina, built for yachts uh, that we went to. And we got in there so late that they couldn't uh, put a shipping agent on us. We spent one night there. And then the next day we motored down to a town called Sarandi, S-A-R-A-N-D-E. This is just right across from uh, Greece, right right across from Corfu, Greece. In fact, if you visit Corfu, you can look north and see the town of Sarandi in Albania, just across the water, very close. We rented a car in Sarandi, uh, drove out to see some Roman ruins, drove out to see uh, a big artesian well called Blue Eyes, and uh, again, the same thing in Sarandi. I looked at real estate prices. You could buy a condominium there for about 35,000 euros, very cheap, uh, but a lot of uh, partially finished real estate developments there, hundreds and hundreds of partially finished real estate developments. On the uh, way out to visit the uh, Roman ruins we visited, there was a about a four, three or four story building, uh, concrete uh, post and beam building, uh, where they had got up the post and beams and it had tipped over. 
and we asked people around there what what happened and and then we looked on the other side of the road there was another one that had been tipped over and and apparently uh what i gathered was that uh, the developer the builder hadn't paid off the right people so somebody came up with a big bulldozer and pushed both these buildings over and they sit there today just knocked over so still a lot of corruption in albania i don't think it's ready for prime time tourism Around Vlori, there was some beautiful land uh, right on the coast, and, you know, it was a pleasant temperature, beautiful land, but I'm not sure I'd want to spend really too much time there. Albania is primarily a Muslim country, but they don't seem to wear their religion on their sleeve. I did see when we were walking along the promenade in, uh, in Sarandi a bear, a bear on a leash. Never seen that before, and he was walking along the promenade as well. In Sarandi at night, there's a casino that blasts uh, techno music out, uh, you know, and we were well, maybe a half a mile away, and it was just, just loud. Uh, I, I don't enjoy that music, and I certainly don't want it forced on me, and there was no way of escaping it. So I, wouldn't, I would not make an effort to go back to Albania. So we cross over to Corfu. And uh, we spent a night in one of my favorite little towns uh, on the island of Corfu. And I've been there oh, four or five times now. And this town is called Cassiope. It's on the north, uh, the north coast of Corfu. And the last time I was there was when I was taking the boat up to, um, to Croatia several years earlier. And I had met a... a um, economic historian, a very prominent economic historian, Galina Harlapsis, and she loaned me one of her books uh, for my research on the Greek shipping industry, uh, a book called Ploto, P-L-O-T-O, and it's not in print, and she wanted it back, and it's a big book. It was a big, heavy book. That amounted to about half of my luggage this summer because I needed to return it to her. And I was hoping to meet her in the marina and take it back to her. Uh, but she wasn't there that night, uh, that day. And the next day, I had to take my crew down to uh, to the town of Corfu to get off. I was having other problems on the boat, too. I wasn't, my uh, batteries weren't holding a charge. Uh, my battery charger didn't seem like it was working. So we went down to Guvia Marina. Uh, not too far away from Corfu town, and we spent a night there. And the next day, my crew, which was a great crew, because they just they just went with the knocks. They didn't have any problem when we were stuck in Couture. Uh They didn't have any problem when we were stuck in uh, in Bar. They were a great crew. Uh, they were a lot of fun, and uh, they'll be coming back to my boat again probably next year. Uh, anyway, they left, and I had a couple days uh, by myself. And so I bought some new batteries, which amounted to 800 euros for two big marine batteries. Now, in the United States, it'd probably be about $400. So everything, everything in Europe is expensive, ridiculously expensive. And, it, of course, the Europeans have to pay these things. And guess what? Most of it's taxes. They have more government than they need, and it does not add any value well, I thought this was going to be a quick, uh, quick update, but you can see I've, I'm only through the first crew of, a, of the summer. I'm only f- through the first couple of weeks of a two-month two 
summer trip. So I'm going to probably do this podcast in three or four uh, episodes because I'm tired. Uh, My wife called me. It's time to go get some supper. And I'm going to close it out here and uh, and then continue on with the story in the next podcast. But in the meantime, if you have a chance, uh, I've got a couple books on Kindle. Uh, they are um, uh, they are listed on my website, www.medsailor.com. One is about uh, the Greek shipping industry, the social networks in the Greek shipping industry. You can get those through Kindle. And the other one is uh, called uh, Bareboat Yacht Chartering in Turkey. And you can also uh, get that on Kindle. Um, it's my first attempt at, at publishing. I think so far I've got about uh, $23 in uh, in royalties. Uh, take a look at them. Uh, download the samples. See if you like them. I think I'm charging $7.99 for the Greek book and $9.99 for the uh, bareboat uh, yacht chartering book. Uh, and uh, if you do get them, Go on and give me a good review on Amazon. It won't hurt me. Anyway, I appreciate it. If you have audio stories you would like to share, please uh, email me those stories at franz at Travel Trade Exchange. Again, that's F-R-A-N-Z at Travel, T-R-A-V-E-L-T-R-A-D-E-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E dot com. Or uh, you can also send them to me at the MedSailor um, website as well, and that email is cdream, S-E-E-D-R-E-A-M, at medsailor.com. Send them to me in an MP3 format, and I will listen to them, and as long as they are appropriate, I will post them. I've had one listener so far uh, send in a story. I'd sure like to get others. You can see I'm not the best storyteller, so I'm sure you can do better. That's why I like doing interviews. It's easier for me to talk to somebody about their adventures and stories rather than tell my own. If you have some stories you would like to be interviewed for, please contact me. Uh, We'll arrange a Skype interview, and we'll put them up that way. I appreciate you listening. Thank you very much.